Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, it is good to see you. We're going to be going to our time of teaching now. And if you're here for the very first time, not only welcome, but inside your program is a message note sheet we use for every week during our time of teaching. So you definitely want to pull that out to help you follow along. But uh, if, you're all, if you're all set and ready to go, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we just are excited about what you're doing in our church, how you're unleashing really, truly a movement of passionate Christ followers and teaching us every week. What does it look like to really pursue you with a whole heart and be transformed by you? And so uh, we pray that today as we go into this uh, important passage where you talk about such an important topic of how you speak and lead and guide in our life, uh, we pray that you give us uh, ears to hear what your spirit would teach today. We pray you'd come and be our teacher, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're continuing this brand new series we started uh, last weekend. And for those of you who are not here, it was called uh, Behind the Music. It's a study in the book of Psalms. And, and one of the things about the book of Psalms is the book of Psalms is one of the most popular books in the Bible. But one thing that a lot of people don't know, and I mentioned this last week, is the word psalm actually means song. And that these, these, these uh, works of art that we're studying, these kind of uh, carefully crafted uh, works of art, they're actually songs that were intended originally to be sung either individually or in kind of Israel's worship services, like in their, their temple. And so what we're doing in this series is we're really going behind the music to kind to learn the life lessons of some of these spiritual leaders, these carefully crafted uh, works of art that, that are, are designed to, to teach us kind of how to walk with God. They were written by some of uh, Israel's greatest spiritual leaders over a thousand year period of time. And so what we're doing is going behind us and say, what does it look like to walk well with God? What does it look like to have a relationship with God that's real, that's, that's passionate, that's life changing, uh, that, that's authentic, that's powerful. And so uh, today we come to uh, Psalm uh, 25. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And, and Psalm 25, it's a little bit hard to classify. One of the things we learned last week is that, that scholars will classify different types of psalms. And so uh, this psalm, for example, some scholars would classify it as a, what's called the psalm of lament, or I like to call the bummer psalms. Uh, kind of psalms when you're just going through a hard time, God is nowhere to be found, he seems distant, you don't know what ends up, life's falling apart, and they're called psalms of lament. And that, this psalm definitely fits that because David's going through a very difficult time in his life, as we'll read about, very tough times surrounded by enemies. Other scholars will call this a psalm of confidence because even though David's going through a very difficult time in his life that he makes some tremendous statements about God, I know you're with me and, and I know this is going to work out. And so some would call it a psalm of confidence. Others would call it what we call a wisdom psalm because in this psalm, David is teaching us how to live life. And one of the marks of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, as we've talked about many times the last few weeks, is that they talk about the path. Like life is a journey. We're on a path to life. We're on a path to death. And this psalm talks a a lot about path and, and especially how to hear God speak in our life. And so many scholars would call it a wisdom psalm. But uh, however you classify it, it definitely is a cry for help. I mean, David's going through a difficult time. And there in your note sheet, so I call it Psalm 25, a prayer for help. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the psalm. It'll take a little longer than normal because it's pretty pretty long time. It's just long psalms, 22 verses. And then we're going to come back and talk about the two life principles that flow out about how God speaks and leads in our life. Life. And so here we go, Psalm 25. And if you have your Bibles, just open them up there. And the very first thing that you'll notice right under Psalm 25, what are the very first words that we see? Of David. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's a title. And, and what you, we haven't talked about yet in this series is that many of the Psalms will have titles. So sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. Uh, 73 of the Psalms start with this title. It says, of David. However, in the Hebrew, it doesn't really say of David. What it really says is le David. Uh, it's a word, it's like the letter L and little, little e, le David, a psalm of, uh, of David. And in Hebrew, that preposition le, it can mean to, it can mean for, it can mean about, it can mean by. And so there are some scholars that believe these, all these psalms that are, are labeled le David, they're not necessarily written by David, but they're written maybe for David or about David or somehow associated with David, either during David's lifetime or maybe even you know hundreds of years later. Uh, there's other scholars that say, well, no, we don't think so because one of the things we know about David is that David was an amazing, uh, 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 he was an amazing musician and he was an amazing songwriter. We know he was a writer of Psalms. In fact, in 2 Samuel 23, David is called the singer of Israel. He was kind of the, you know, the Bono of his day. He, he, he was really well known as this gifted kind of singer over his lifetime. And so a uh, kind of composer of songs. And so uh, there's a lot of people, no, we do believe he wrote these psalms. The interesting thing is in the New Testament uh, that many times when the psalms that are titled Le David are quoted in the New Testament, that many times the New Testament authors, writers, speakers with Jesus or the apostles, they will seem to assume that if it says Le David, it's of, it's really is a psalm of David. And so for this series, I don't want to go through that every time. I'm just going to mention if it says it's a psalm of David, I'm going with it. David wrote it. That's kind of the theory I'm operating under. So anyway, he starts off and this is definitely a prayer for help. He says, um, to you, O Lord, and when we see the word Lord, all caps, what does that mean? Yeah, Yahweh. For those of you who are new uh, here at Rocky Peak, that, that in the Old Testament, when it says Lord in all caps, it's just the translator's way of telling you that that really in the Hebrew is the personal name of God, Yahweh. So the other nations, they have their gods. They have Molech, they have Baal, they have Ashereth. Israel's God, the God of the nations is Yahweh. And so he says, oh, to you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. I pray and you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. And so what what we're going to see in this psalm is that, that David's going through a very difficult time when there are people who are out to destroy him, many enemies. And so we'll read more about them at the end of the psalm. But then he makes this amazing song, uh, statement of confidence right in the midst of his trial. He says, uh, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And so that's why many scholars will call this a psalm of confidence because even though it's going through hard times, he's just making strong statements about who God is and what he's, who his trust is in. It says, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. So these enemies in his life that are being treacherous, attacking him for no reason, he said, that kind of person, they will be put to shame. And now we enter into the heart of the psalm where, where David is gonna to begin to ask God for, for leadership. He's gonna ask God, would you speak? Would you lead? Would you guide me? I'm in this dangerous time in my life. I really need you to speak in and direct me. And so he says, show me your ways, O Yahweh. And so again, you're gonna see all through this psalm constantly the emphasis on ways and paths, like mark of wisdom literature. Show me your way, O God. Life is a journey, show me your way. And so he says, show me your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long. My eyes are set on you. Now, in the next couple verses, David's gonna ask God to remember three things. 
the first thing he's gonna ask God to remember is, God, would you remember who you are? Okay, like, like I'm, in a, I'm in a jam and I need to re- you to remember your resume, right? That you are the God of compassion, you're the God of grace, you're the rock, you're the salvation. I need to remember, need you to remember who you are because I really need you to be who you are right now. And then he's gonna, second thing he's gonna say, the second thing I'd like you to remember is could you not remember who I am? <laughs> it's awesome. He says, because I know I've blown it a big time in my life, many times, and many times in my life I've been rebellious, many times I've not followed you, many times I've failed you, and so could we just like pretend those things never happened? <laughs> so he says specifically, re- remember not the sins of my youth, and we've all got those, right? And so uh, uh, if you're 15, that's like when you were six, but uh, anyway, uh, he says, could you just not remember the areas I've blown it? And then he says, the third thing I need you to remember is I need you to remember uh, that I'm in a jam and I really need your help. So, so remember who you are, kind of don't remember who I am, remember that I need you right now. And so he says in verse six, remember, O Yahweh, your great mercy and love. Remember who you are, for they are from of old. We've experienced this throughout our history as a nation. And he says, uh, that ver- verse seven, but remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, but according to your love, would you remember me? I'm in this jam, for you are good, O, o Yahweh. Now listen, this statement for you are good. This is an important statement because you'll see it often in the Psalms, the statement, God, the Yahweh, you are good. You are good, you are good, your mercy endures forever. You'll see it all over. And for us in the English language today, the word good is not a very strong word. Like we'll often say, uh, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm good, you know, I'm good, just, I'm fine. It's not a very strong word. Like if we wanna use strong words, we use words like great or awesome or something like that. But we don't like, like oh, you know, he's, he's really good. It sounds kind of vanilla, doesn't it? But in, in the Hebrew, in their way of mindset, when they're saying God is good, they're making the ultimate statement that God is, in, is good in the sense that he is the ultimate source of all that's right and true and good in the world. That, that, that he is good uh, absolutely, that he's never done one thing wrong in his whole life, that he is purely good. And, and to get a, a feel for this, I wanna give you a couple really important passages of scripture that we're not gonna look at today day, but I'd like you to look at during the week in your time with God. And so here are the passages. It's Psalm, it's uh, Exodus 33 verse 19 and then Exodus 34 verses 5 through 7. Now this is actually all part of one story, so you can read the whole thing, but I just want to point these two passages out because what happens, this is when the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai and Moses prays one day, God, would you show me your glory? I really want to know who you are and experience you. And God says, yes, I will show you my goodness. So catch this, guys, he says, God, would you show me your glory? And he says, I will show you my goodness. So his goodness represents all that God is, everything about who he is. And so then the next day, God comes down in a cloud and he passes before Moses and he says, I will pass before you and I will speak my name. Okay. Now the name is Yahweh, right? He's revealed himself to Israel by this name, by this point, Yahweh, but he had not really filled in that name so you knew what the name meant yet. So, so for example, like in our culture today, if I say the word Apple computers, <laughs> right? 
There's all, all kinds, there's all kinds of images and feelings and emotions because Apple has done a great job of branding themselves so that when you speak their name, there's certain images that come to your mind. Like I don't know what yours would be, but I think of Steve Jobs who just died, right? I think I think of Steve Jobs. I, I think of simplicity. I think of, of, of beauty. Their products are always really attractive artistically. I think of things that work really well. There's all these images that come, I think of cool. There's a lot of things that when you say Apple, uh, this is what, when you think of Harley, you think of Jesus, right? So you know, it's like, 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 you think of heaven, you think, no, you know, no, you, but are, are you with me in this? Like there's certain, like if, if okay, just, Okay, come, come on back, come on back. Uh, uh, Nordstrom, right, Nordstrom, uh, Walmart, uh, Target. But these, these organizations have all worked to brand themselves so that when you hear their name, it means all these things. Are, are you with me? Well, in Exodus 34, God brands himself. He says, here is my name, but let me fill that with content so that whenever you hear my name, you know what it means. And so in Exodus 34, as God as comes down in the cloud, he brands himself for Moses and Israel from ever, and becomes one of the most important passages in all the Old Testament. And this is what he says. He speaks his name twice. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then he begins to fill it with content. And he says, the, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and loyalty and faithfulness, not, not a little bit of love, but abounding in love, who, who forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin, and yet he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. He's an honest judge, and he will hold the earth accountable so that all who do destruction and evil will ultimately, ultimately be dealt with. Okay, so, so God brands him, this is who I am, and so when I can't, but remember, after he branded himself, remember what he said in Exodus 33, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So I'm Yahweh, I'm abounding in love, I'm a compassionate, that's all his goodness. And so when the Psalms, they talk about the name of God, this is the passage they're talking about. This is the God. This is the, the, the God, Yahweh. And when they talk about God is good, they're talking about good in this deepest sense of the word. He is absolutely good. He is always good. He's never done an evil. He's the source of all good things that you've ever experienced in your life flow from him. Okay, so, so here it says in verse seven, then for you are good, O Yahweh. And then give an example. He says, good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. And so one of the, the, the marks of what, how good God is is that when we rebel against him, instead of destroying us, he calls us back. And if we will turn and repent and, and change that, he will step back in and instruct us and love us like the prodigal son. He, he'll receive us back and instruct us in the path of life. Verse nine, he guides us the humble in what is right. The humble would be the person who's willing to follow his leadership and submit to his leadership. 
He guides the humble and what's right, he teaches them his way. Notice that again, all this way language. Verse 10, all the ways of Yahweh are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. So when Israel comes out of Egypt, they, they, they camp at Mount Sinai, God reveals himself and he invites them into a formal relationship. And that day you called it a covenant. A covenant was a formal relationship. Like the uh, best example today we would have of a covenant would be marriage. And so you enter into a relationship where both sides make certain commitments to this covenant. And God said, if you will be true to my covenant, if you'll love me, if you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, that I will bless your life and I will travel with you. I will lead, I will guide, I will bless in every way. And so that's what David is saying here, that all the ways of Yahweh are loving and faithful to those who keep the demands of that covenant he's established with Israel. And then he says in verse 11, for the sake of your name, O Yahweh, forgive my iniquity, though it's great. And so catch this, uh, uh, David says, hey, God, I, I know that I've not always been faithful. I know I've rebelled. I need your help. I'm not asking based on my performance. I'm asking based on your name, who you are. Well, what's his name? The compassionate one, the one abounding in love, the one who is quick to forgive. That's his name. That's his bread. That's who he is. So he says, God, would you be merciful to me and lead me not because of my performance, but because of your performance, because of who you are. And and so men and women, this is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That God enters into relationship with us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And so through the death of Christ, nothing that we've done, God enters into a relationship where he will lead and guide based on his performance, not ours. And so then in verse uh, 12, he says, who then is the man who fears the Lord? And remember what we learned, to fear the Lord means to, to love him, to trust him, and to follow him. He is God and we are not. And so he says, who is the man, the person who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. So here's a promise that if we will surrender to God's leadership, God will lead, he will speak, he will guide. And then in verse uh, 13, he will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. There will be, there'll be blessings in his life. Then verse 14 says, Yahweh confides in those who fear him. Remember again, to fear him, to love, to trust, and to follow. And so he says, if you're willing to, to, to surrender his leadership in your life, he says, a Yahweh will confide in you. Now catch this interesting statement, interesting uh, word. In Hebrew, it's a good translation. He will confide in you, but, but there's other translations will translate like this. Other translations will say the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. In other words, God will share his secrets with you. He, like a friend, like a friend. Other, uh, uh, many other translations will translate it this way. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And so in other words, God will, so, so in the book of James, we're told that if you draw close to God, that he will draw close to you. In John chapter 15, the night that Jesus was arrested, he told his men, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends because I've shared my heart with you. And he said that, that, that if you obey my commandments, then you will, you're truly my friends. And so God says the same thing. If you, if you fear the Lord, if you surrender his leadership, he will pour out his heart. He will share his heart. He will draw you into friendship. And then in verse uh, 16 to the end, he begins to pour out this prayer to, to God. And we begin to get some insight into the pain he's in, the danger he's facing. He says, turn to me, God, and be gracious to me for I am, he throws out two words. I am what? I'm, I'm, I'm lonely and I'm 
afflicted. Now, now let's say I, I'm two words. I'm what I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. Now catch this. This is so important. One of the things I love about the Psalms is that they are so radically honest and transparent and real. And I want you to catch this. this is so important. Here's a spiritual leader of Israel, David, a man who writes Bible, but he says, I'm going through a really hard time. I feel totally alone. Like I feel like my friends aren't with me. I feel like God's distant. I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. And here's what I've noticed in Christian circles, that sometimes we'll have the temptation to be less than honest with one another. That sometimes when we go through a hard time in our life, we don't want to say things like, I'm lonely and I'm afflicted or I'm depressed because we're afraid that our friends will try to talk us out of it, right? Like, I want you to stop and think, like, like I don't know how your life group works, but in many life groups, if you had someone where it comes to the end of your life group and you're sharing what prayer requests and so on, if someone just started to break down and cry and they're like, like I am so lonely right now. I, I mean, it's just so much pain, I'm so lonely. You know what would happen in a lot of life groups? Is we would try to talk them out of their loneliness. And so what we would do, the way we would say like, oh no, you can't be lonely because Jesus is with you. Right, and he's closer to you than the air that you breathe. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, he, remember what he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so you don't need to be lonely. And remember, God works for the good for all those who trust him. He works all things for the good. And, and so God is with you and you don't need to be lonely. Are you feeling better? <laughs> but, and so now if we were honest, we'd say, no, now I feel worse. <laughs> because now I know you don't understand how I feel right? I felt better before I came to this group. And now you tried to talk me out of being lonely. And all that shows us you don't understand me or my loneliness at all, right? And so, so what happens is in Psalms is there's this beautiful modeling that goes on. What does it look like to be an honest person? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? It means someone who's radically honest with God and ourselves and others. And so for, for us is that there will be, here's what we learn in the Psalms, that if you walk with God, that he will be your rock. He will be your shepherd. He will be your deliverer. He will speak. He will lead. He will guide. But we also learn that there will be times in your life when life will be very hard. We learn that there'll be times in your life you will feel lonely. There'll be times in your life where you feel like God has, has left you and he's not there. And that's normal. And that's normal. And so what we learn is that as a, a community here at Rocky Peak, that this is why one of our core values is authenticity. It's number three in our core value list. Authenticity, living life honestly. And so we wanna create a community here that when you're down or when you're going through hard times, you can go to your life group and you say, I know that God is God and I know the promises and stuff, but right now I feel like I'm not feeling it. Right now I feel like he's left me. Right now I feel like my prayers are bouncing back to me and he's not answering me and I'm so lonely and I'm in so much pain and then instead of a life group trying to give you a pep talk and talk you out that they will put their arms around you and they will do what the Bible says they will weep with those who weep right and, and that we will share that pain together and there God will meet us and there he'll heal us amen Amen. And so, so that's the church he's calling us to be. And that's the life, what it means to be a Christ follower. It's just someone you're radically honest, right? So we're not, we're not pretending, we're not going through motions. We're being honest with God, ourselves, and one another. And so then he says, uh, the trouble, verse 17, the troubles of my heart have multiplied. They're like rabbits. They're like everywhere, you know? 
He's like, I've got my, you know, the, the car's breaking. I lost my job. My health is bad. Uh, my wife just left me. My kids don't like me. You know, it's like life, the troubles are just, life is crazy right now. The, the problems are like geometric. I've got problems squared. They're multiplying. So uh, he says, God, free me from my what? Free me from my what? Anguish. Anguish. I want you to catch the deep words here. It's not free me from my concern. It's, it's, not, it's not free me from occasional worry. It's free me from my anguish. The, the, the deepest, strongest word. So he says, look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my what? My sins. And so third time in this passage, he's told us that David is deeply aware of his shortcomings, his falling, and his rebellion. He's not asking for God's help because he deserves it, because who God is. And then he says, um, verse 19, see how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. So guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to what? Shame. And I want to point this out. The, the, the Psalms are so carefully written. Right, and you often see this in the psalm. They start with an idea, end with an idea. Uh, earlier in this psalm, we saw the three remembers. Remember who you are, remember who, not who I am, remember who the situation. You see carefully crafted works of art. You know, psalm, this psalm, Psalm 25, is what we call an acrostic psalm. And, and what that means is like Psalm 119 we talked about last week, that in this psalm, every verse starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's about three exceptions, but, but overall, every verse, so they're carefully crafted. And so how does he start this psalm? In verse 23, he says, no one who's hope in you will ever be put to shame, right? And so at the start of this psalm, he brags on God. God, this is what I'm saying. I'm in hard times. I'm going through a very difficult time. But this is what I'm going to say about you, that no one who trusts in you will ever be put to shame. And so then how does he end the psalm? He says, God, I've been bragging on you. And so you need to come through for me. Verse 20, guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame. I've said, this is who you are. Let me experience that in my life. And so then in verse 21, he says, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. And I think what he's saying here is these enemies who are out to get him, there is no integrity. There is no uprightness. They are treacherous people. But David knows he's walking walked in integrity towards them. He's walked uprightly. He's not done anything to them that deserves us. And so he's praying, God, you know this. And as judge of all the earth, would you step in and would you protect me here? Would you be my arbitrator? And then finally, he says in verse 22, redeem Israel, O God, kind of rescue Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And so this may have been a late addition by another editor who takes a Psalm of David and wants to kind of expand it out for use in worship services for the whole nation. But it may be also that David as king uh, of the nation, anyone who attacks him is really attacking the nation. And so he says, redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. And so there's this psalm. It's a psalm of a cry for help in the midst of a very dangerous time. But in the process, David gives us some of the best teaching in all the Bible about how, who God is, how he desires to speak into our lives, and how he wants to lead and teach and guide us. And so that's really our topic today. And so there in your note sheet, 
you have a section called God Speaks, the gift of guidance. And I just wanna highlight two kind of life principles from the Psalms, life lessons, about uh, kind of who God is and then how he wants to speak into our life and the kind of person that we need to be to experience God speaking in our life in a consistent way. And so here's the first principle. The first principle goes like this, kind of jumps out from the Psalm, is that God speaks that this God that we worship as Christ followers, that he is a God who loves to speak. And he calls us into a relationship with himself of what I like to call two-way communication. Now, I want you to stop and think with me for just a second. In Christian circles, we often talk about this, how God calls us to a personal relationship with God, right? Like, in fact, when, if someone at work says, well, I know you're religious, like one of the things we often say is, well, I'm really not religious, but I just have a relationship with God. And so what we'll talk about. But if you stop and think about that, one of the marks of a true relationship is what I call two-way communication. Like if I email you every day for the next three weeks, and then I tell someone, oh yeah, I'm really close with this person. I've emailed them every day for the last three weeks. We email every day. And they would say, well, what do they say back? And, and I said, well, they've never answered me back. But we're in the same life group, so we're like this. <laughs> like you would say, Mike, you're fooling yourself. You don't have a relationship with them. As you don't have a relationship just because you talk, like they have to talk back, right? And so it's the same in our spiritual relationship with God. You don't have a real personal relationship with God until you sense him talking back, till he's communicating, till he's speaking, till he's leading, until he's guiding. And once you begin to experience that in your life on a regular basis, it transforms your whole relationship with God. And it transforms you, you become excited about your relationship with God because he's speaking, you're speaking, he's leading, he's guiding, and you sense him alive and active interacting with your life. And as you begin to experience this more and more, it totally changes your relationship with God. And guess what? Then those around you can notice the change and, and they want to talk about this. And you can share about this relationship you have with God and your passion is going to come across for this God because he's changed your life and he's leading and guiding. And guess what? They're going to want some of that. And that's how a movement gets born is as God transforms our life and our relationship is real and authentic and is powerful and is passionate, others see that and they want in. They want in that game, you see? And so, so what we see in the Bible from beginning to end is that God is the great communicator and we are made in his image. And so when he wants to create a whole cosmos, how does he do it? He does it with words. He speaks it. And when he calls the people to himself throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New, you see this, that God speaks and he speaks into their life. And so he speaks into the life of a man named Abraham. He speaks to Isaac. He speaks to Jacob. He speaks to Moses and through Moses to the whole nation. He speaks through a long line of prophets and priests and kings. And then when Jesus comes, he's the ultimate communicator. In fact, his very name is the Word of God. In the beginning was the word. And so Jesus came to communicate and to speak to, on, on, for, for God to unto our life. And in John chapter one, it says, no one has ever seen God, but we've seen Jesus who's come to communicate who God is and kind of God in the flesh. And then as we go into the New Testament, Jesus says when he leaves, hey, I'm leaving. I've come to speak and reveal God. I'm leaving. But as I leave, I'm leaving another counselor, another mentor, another teacher. His name is the Holy Spirit. 
and he's gonna come inside of you and he's going to lead you and guide you and direct you into all truth, right? And so then we see when the early church uh, is born, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit begins to lead and guide and shepherd the early church. And oftentimes he speaks very specifically and clearly. I put several examples there on your note sheet. I just wanna walk you through them. Acts chapter eight, there's a man named Philip and God, the Spirit speaks to him. This is what the Bible says. The Spirit spoke to him and said, go up and stand by that chariot. And so there was an African leader there who was visiting uh, in Jerusalem. And so God speaks, says, go up and stand by that chair. And he does, and it opens up a conversation. He leads him to Christ. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is on his rooftop praying before lunch and God communicates, he speaks via vision and gives him a vision. And then after the vision, we're told the spirit speaks to Peter and says, there are some men downstairs knocking on the door. I've sent them, go with them, very specific. In Acts chapter 11, there's a man named Agabus, bummer of a name. What, <laughs> what kind of bus? Agabus. Uh, but, <laughs> And he says, uh, and, and, and Agabus has the gift of prophecy. And so Agabus stands up and tells the brothers, he says, hey, God spoke to me and said there's gonna be a great famine that's gonna come on the Roman Empire. We need to get ready. In chapter 13, you have the leaders of the church of Antioch together, the leadership team, they're praying and fasting. And God speaks and says, hey, I want you to take two of your brightest and best, Paul and Barnabas, and send them out on a church planting mission to take the gospel of Jesus out, very specific uh, instructions. And then in chapter 16, we see the apostle Paul, where he is actually on one of these church planting expeditions. And three times in a matter of about five verses, we're told the spirit of Jesus said, don't go this way. And the spirit of Jesus said, don't go this way. And then, and then he has a dream, go this way. And so what you see throughout the Bible is that God is a communicator. And when he calls you and I into relationship with himself through Jesus, he, he calls you into into a relationship of two-way communication. He does not call you into a relationship where now you are saved by faith and you're waiting for Jesus to show up. And when that happens or when you die, he will start speaking again. But until now, just read the Bible, you're on your own. Right? That's not the relationship he calls you into. He calls you into a relationship where he fills you by his spirit, his presence in your life, and he wants to lead and guide and direct. And we see that all through Psalm 25, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Now, of course, the question is, well then, how does that work? How does God speak? And can I tell you something? That as Christ followers, what I've often noticed is that God is speaking way more than we're aware of. And that, and that often he's speaking and we're just not recognizing. And if you get a group of Christians together and you start probing, you find out like, oh yeah, I've experienced that. Oh, that's God. I didn't really recognize that. And so here's what I believe is that, that in order for us to grow in learning to hear God's voice, we need some teaching. We need some markers. We need some understanding like, oh, I get it. I see how that works. And so that's what I want to do in the next few minutes. Let's talk about some of the ways that God speaks. Like one of the ways that God speaks, and this is the most common, it's the most important, and it's the most reliable, is that God speaks through his written word. Now, last week we talked about this, how Psalm 1 is a roadmap to life, but I want to go back and I want to unpack this a little bit more, because what I'm saying here is, is not what a lot of you are hearing. What a lot of you are hearing is, okay, I've got the Bible, it's the word of God, I just read it, I study it, I memorize it, I do what it says, that's what you mean God speaks. 
That's not what I mean. The Bible is a unique book. It's unlike any other book. And when I talk about God speaking through his word, what I'm talking about is that as you read the word, as you hear the word taught, like it's being taught uh, here in the weekend service, as you go to your life, what I'm talking about is where the Holy Spirit comes and catches, he begins to open your eyes to the truth that's being described in the Bible. And he opens your eyes in a way that it latches on and it speaks to you powerfully. And there's this sense that God is really directing your path. There's a great song. Psalm 119, where it's all about the word of God. And one of the prayers is that that Psalm is, God, would you open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law? So what he's saying is, I know they're there. I need you to open my eyes. And so we've all had this experience, right? You're reading the Bible and it begins to speak to you. You begin to understand what it's saying. And God is like, he's, what he's doing, he's showing you who he is, showing you who you are and showing you the path to life, how life is to be lived. So like, for example, on Friday, uh, I got up Friday, Friday's my, my day off. So I'm, I'm here six days of the week on campus, but on Friday I'm off and just try to stay kind of unplugged. And so on Friday I get up and, and I've got a, a doctor's appointment uh, down at UCLA, which is my home away from home. And so uh, Lynn and I uh, go down there. We go to the doctor. They do what they need to do. Uh, then we go to Westwood down there. We get a cup of coffee at Pete's you know, coffee shop down there on Westwood Boulevard. And we just kind of hang out and spend some time. And then we come home and I work out, not because I love it, but because it's good for me. And so then I, I work out. And so now it's about three o'clock. And, and so uh, I'm wondering okay, what, what I'm gonna do next on my day off. And I really feel like God's calling to me. Now, I don't know if you experienced this, but just a sense that like God's calling. And so I go, I grab my journal, grab my iPad, whatever, grab my, my cup of tea, go out into the porch. And, and so I began to say, okay, God, I'm here. What do you want to do? I mean, okay, so what's gonna happen? So, so right away, a passage of scripture comes to my mind. Now, I, I wasn't familiar. It was one of the Psalms. It's not one of my favorites. So I didn't know the address or who was living there. And so, uh, so I, I just kind of, this, but this Psalm comes to mind. So I look it up and I began to speak. And as I'm beginning to read it, it's beginning to come alive to me. It's like there's, there's a teaching going on. And, and there's a teaching about God's protection over our life and his vindication. And there's some things he was just, I just like, I really felt like it was for me. Like he's teaching me like some things about my life right now. And then, and then as, I'm, as I'm there uh, and, and praying some more, another passage comes to mind. It's from Philippians. It's a very familiar passage. It's one I've read a million times. But, but I really felt like God wanted me, to, and as I'm reading it now, uh, it's just coming alive to me. It's just speaking. It's like it's so clear and it's so powerful. It's teaching me the path to life. And it's a, it's a passage about what does it mean to be a Christ follower? And it's basically kind of laying out that if you're a Christ follower, your number one goal in life is to know Jesus and then to be transformed by Jesus, to be like Jesus. And it's just so rich and it's so powerful and it's speaking to me and it's just firing me up. You know, it's just firing me up that, that this is the path to life. This is the right way to continue. And I'm getting fired up about this. And, and so, so, then, so then next I go on and I'm journaling a little bit and all of a sudden another thought comes to me and it has nothing to do with either of those passages. And it's a passage, of, it's a, a thought, kind of a strong, I just felt like it was from God. It was, a, it was an insight about spiritual leadership. And when you're in a role of spiritual leadership, whether it's a family or a church or a nation or whatever the thing is, when you're in a role of how it's so important for you to walk well with God because it, not only your destiny depends on it, but the destiny of everyone you lead depends on it. And so if you walk well, everyone benefits. And if you blow it, everyone gets, kind of loses out. And so, so I'm right 
writing this and it's just thoughts just coming to me, right? It's just like just out of the blue. And I'm like, wow, that's so important for me to be reminded of that. And so I'm writing it down and all of a sudden a passage of scripture comes to mind from 1 Timothy. I did know this address. I did know who lived there. And it's like, but it came out of the blue. And so I look at it and it is just powerful. It is saying just what the Holy Spirit was just telling me, but it's just saying in much clearer language, much powerful. And, I, and I'm just writing down and I'm riveted on this. And, and so it's just, it's a challenge for me, like lead well, lead this church well, because if you do, it will lead to your salvation and to the salvation of those who hear you. You have got to lead well. And God is challenging me, right? And so this is not about preparing for a message. This is not about teaching you. This is just my time. It's just God time, right? And so God, in that one hour, he is firing me up and it's nothing specific. There was nothing about in this situation. There was nothing about this decision. It was, not, it was just general, kind of opening up my eyes to the truth about who God is, who I am, how I'm to walk. He's showing me his path. And so in that time, there is a word of protection. There's a word of strong affirmation. Go for it. And there's a word of challenge right? And I get done with that hour of God. And not every time is like this, but I get done with that hour and I'm so fired up. I'm ready to take the world. And I am, I am ready to go. And so then we left and go watch my grandchildren. But anyway, <laughs> which was the next thing on the agenda for the day. But, but this is what I'm saying is when I talk about God speaking to his word, I'm not talking about a boring time where you read the Bible and just kind of take some notes. I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to spiritual truth and reality and you see the truth about who he is and who you are and how you're to live and how life works and it transforms you. And here's the point, you sense yourself being taught. There is a teacher in the house right? There is a teacher in the house. The Holy Spirit's in the house and he is teaching and he is leading and I'm taking notes, right? And I sense I am being led. I am being guided and God is speaking. And when that happens, it's transforming. It is life changing. And so, so sometimes it happens like that. Sometimes God will speak through his word in more specific ways. And by the way, that general way of him speaking is the most important and reliable and consistent because we're gonna talk about some other ways that God speaks. And, and whenever we're talking about other ways that God speaks, we always need to measure that by his word because obviously the Holy Spirit's not gonna lead you to do something that his word says is not the path. And so it's so important that we, we know his word so that when we sense, I think the spirit showed me this, that we're like, okay, is that consistent with what we know? So we can weigh it. There are other times when God will speak through his word a different way. It's not he's just speaking a general, uh, kind of pro, general teaching about life or your life or direction, but he's giving you a specific word of direction. I gave you one example last week, like in my life when I was 23 years old, planning to go to seminary. Lynn and I were married, sitting by the river in Knoxville, reading Psalm 127 out of the blue, not even a thought in my mind. We were not planning to have children for years where this passage of scripture just came off the page and spoke to me. I knew I'd been spoken to that we were to start a family. So it's a very specific word of direction. Like in Psalm 25, it says, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him, like his specific way. And so there are times like this where God will actually cause a passage to come alive in a very specific way and direct us in that way. I think a third way that God speaks to us is through his spirit. 
uh, we, we, uh, we've talked this in the book of Acts. Sometimes God will speak through an internal voice or a very clear impression. One of the marks of when God speaks, whether it's through his word, through the Holy Spirit, whatever, when God speaks, that one of the marks of that is there is a sense of weightiness about it. I'm doing my best again to put this, kind of the, put this into words, but there is a weight about it. There, there's a seriousness. There is a, uh, uh, there is a peace about it. There's a clarity. There's a sense that it sticks with you. You can go back to it. It doesn't vanish away. It, it kind of resides in you. You've been spoken to. And so there are times like in the book of Acts where he says, go up and stand by that chariot or go downstairs and uh, go with these men. There are times when God may speak to you that way. Now, I really believe this, that God speaks to different people in different ways. This way of kind of speaking in words like I just described, that's not a way it happens very much for me. I know others, it happens all the time. So he speaks in different ways to different people. Sometimes it will be a very clear impression and one of those aha moments. You've been praying about something, you're driving down the freeway and it just comes. And it's just so clear and it's so powerful. And you know that you've been spoken to. And there's just this, this downloaded insight that comes. Sometimes I'll compare it to the old days of uh, America online. You know, you've got mail. And it's like, boom, you know, you open up your computer, bing, you got mail and just boom. And you just open up that file and there it is. You know, it's like, you know what you're supposed to do. And it wasn't communicated in words, but it's almost like you can tell, here's what it was all about. I mean, this is, it just comes as a package and you just open it up and there it is and you know. And so uh, other times it can come, like we talked about Agabus, you know, in spite of the name, a prophet, right? And God gives him a prophetic word. And so sometimes in the church, people will have prophetic giftings and God will give them a word for you or for themselves or for someone in the body or something like that. Uh, sometimes it comes like we saw acts through a dream or vision, God speaks. But the point is, God is the great communicator. And he calls us to a relationship that is real, that's alive, that's interactive. And so you see this in Psalms, like in Psalm 25. Let's, let's just kind of walk you through some of the highlights, because I know I've been spending a lot of time in, in, in this, and so it's kind of jumping out at me, but we may have missed over. But in verse four and five, let's give you some examples. Verse four, show me your ways. Oh, Yahweh. And so he's, he's trusting that God is a God who will interact and, and, and direct. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Notice over and over again, he's assuming that God will directly lead, guide, and speak. Look at verse uh, eight. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners. Okay, look at verse nine. He guides the humble. Verse 12, who then is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. Look at verse 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's all over this psalm. This is the assumption. This is the relationship God calls us to. Now look there as we finish this point. Look at the quote that's on your note sheet. This is a quote I've used before, but it's just such a great one by Bill Hybels who's a pastor at uh, Willow Creek, a large church out in, in uh, Chicagoland. And he wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And look what he says. Authentic Christianity, and that's what we're after, is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people all marching the same way. It's not simply humanitarian service to the less fortunate. Catch this, it is a walk. And it's a supernatural walk with a living, dynamic, communicating God. And thus the heart and soul of the Christian life, catch this, is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. 
And can I tell you, that's what it's about. That's what we're called into relationship. And that's the vision for this church. Like, I don't know about you, but I have no time to be part of a church that's just going through the motions, right? Has absolutely no interest in being religious. No interest. No interest in just being kind of run-of-the-mill church. We just come to church and we do the thing and we see our friends. Have no interest in that. Like the passion of my heart is that we would be a people that have a personal relationship with God. That you know God personally in your life. And if no one else knew God, you still know God. And you know it's true because even if the Bible didn't say it, he's already showed you, right? It's like he is teaching you. He is leading you. And, and And guess what? You can choose. That's what we're going to learn today is that you can have the relationship with God you want. Like, so what do you want? Do you want, and I'm not saying you're doing this. I'm just talking generically, but I'm saying, what do you want? Do you want to come to church and go through the motions and have a superficial relationship with this God that never transforms your life? That's all about religion. It's not about relationship. And you go through your life living a boring, meaningless, purposeless life, just going to church on a life group once a week. Is that what you want for your life? Or do you want your life transformed? Do you want to know the living God who loves you and died for you, that cared so much he wants to communicate. He came as the word in the flesh to communicate. Do you want to be changed? You see, the way I look at it is if God is real, he's the most important reality in life. And if he's not real, let's close up shop and go home. This is a waste of time. Are you with me? Are you with me? All right, and so, And so that's the vision for this church. And that's what I'm calling out to you every week. Will you come with me? Will you seek God in your life? Will you make God your number one priority? If he's real, there's gonna come a day when you wish you had, right? And so let's just jump to the end of the story. Let's get it right now. Let's stop wasting our life. And and so if you want a relationship with God, you can have it. You can have it. It is here, Jesus has paid the ultimate price and he's given the spirit so you can have it, but only you can decide whether you want it. Like you can be superficial if you want. You can waste your life if you want, it's up to you, right? But, but God is calling out and this Psalm is calling out and it's modeling a different kind of life. And if you want it, you can have it. And that's what point number two is about. So point number two goes like this that God speaks when we listen. And we talked about this a little bit last week that God for the most part is not gonna speak into the person's life who's not listening. And the reason is not just because we won't listen and it's a waste of time. But honestly, if God speaks in your life and you don't listen, your heart will harden and it will destroy you. And it's out of his great love for you that he will not speak until we're ready to listen. And so you see that throughout this psalm. Uh, In fact, in this psalm, there are two criteria that we need to meet in order to have God speak. And so let me give them to you. I'm gonna give you two words, and these words are going to organize our thoughts. But the first word is sinner, okay? Like if you want God to speak in your life, you have to be a certified sinner. (laughs) Now it's looking up, isn't it? Things are looking up. But you have to know you're a screw up. You have to be clear on this. 
You have to be clear that you have messed up and you have no right to hear from God and there's no reason why he really deserve, you deserve this. Like you have to know that you're messed up and you need God desperately. You've got to know that. Uh, in fact, so we, we, we see that throughout this psalm. So for example, let's take a look at verse eight. It says, good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs whom? Sinners. Sinners. So you, you need to be one. You, you need to be one. And, and then in verse course, seven, he talked about, remember not the sins of my youth. If you go to verse 18, look up all my affliction and my distress, take away all my sins. What you catch is that David is deeply aware of his fallenness. He's deeply aware of the mistakes he's made, the wrong choices, the times of rebellion. And so he's not asking God to speak based on his track record or performance. He's asking God to speak based on God's performance, based on God's name as the compassionate one. And so this is what we see in the Gospels. When Jesus came, he was called a friend of whom? Good, three people. Friend, uh, yeah, maybe, 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 hey, hey, Glen Canyon Church, you're gonna learn something. He was called a friend of sinners. And what we find is the more aware of how fallen you are, the more Jesus spoke into your life. The less aware of how fallen you were, the more self-righteous you were, the less he could speak into your life. And so the good news is if you're a sinner, you qualify, okay? So, so this is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus has come and he's died for us and we have a relationship with God, not based on our performance, but based on his death. That is the gospel. And so we see it right here in this psalm, okay? Now, this is good news because here's the truth of the matter. I think for many of us here, that if I were to ask you today, do you believe that God still speaks today? You would say, yes, Mike, I do. But if we could have an honest conversation, what you'd say is, but I don't think he'll speak to me. And the reason, you'd have different reasons, but some of you would say it's because of the sins I had, it's because I've had three abortions, it's because of sexual morality in my life, because I, I ran away from my family, or I, I did this drug, or whatever the story is, you know? But there's something that we've done that causes him not to speak. Like, yes, God speaks, but not to people like me. Or we say, well, I, I believe God speaks, but you need to go to seminary. That's like the, how you take a class in God's speaking. And that, he speaks to people who've got this. Or he speaks to elders or pastors or spiritual leaders. But he, he doesn't speak to people like normal people like me. And here's what I want you to catch is that yes, he does. And this whole Psalm is about it and the whole Bible is about it. You see, when you come to Jesus, you become a son or daughter of the king and there are no second class citizens. You're either in or you're not in. And if you're in, it's because of him, not because of you. And if you're in, it means all rights and privileges of the son of God now come to you as his younger brother or sister. And so if you're a son or daughter of the king, you're in and, and you have this access to him. And so if you're a sinner, you qualify, okay? But secondly, there's a second word I wanna throw out. You not only have to be a sinner, you also have to be surrendered. And this is like I said, that God is not gonna speak until we're ready to follow for a whole variety of reasons. And you see this in the Psalm over and over again. Let's kind of walk through it. In verse, chapter 25, Psalm 25, look at verse, um, verse nine. It talks about who he guides. He guides the whom? The humble. In other words, the person who's willing to listen and take instruction. 
Look at the verse uh, uh, 12. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Remember, to fear the Lord means to love him, to trust him, and to follow him. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen. So if you want to be in the Lord to instruct you, you have to fear the Lord in your life. Uh, in verse 14, the Lord confides in those who what? who fear him. And so over and over again, it says, it's, it's fine if you're a sinner, that won't hold you back. In fact, you have to realize that, but you also have to come to a place where you're surrendered. And I truly believe this in the church of Jesus, often our relationship with Jesus is anemic. And the reason it's anemic is because there are certain closets in our life that are off limits to him. You know how this is when a friend comes over to your house and you say, you welcome them in, they say, can I use the bathroom? Well, the one's downstairs broke. Can I use the one in your bedroom? No, no, not that one, <laughs> right? Like that room is off limits. Like no one goes in my bedroom. You know, here's another one by my daughter's room. And so that we often do this with Jesus. So we come to him and we try to follow him, but we have rooms of our house that are off limits. You know, it might be our finances, it might be our dating life, it might be our sexual life, it could be uh, uh, an area of anger or bitterness or relationships, it could be anything, our priorities, you know, it could be anything, but we say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want you to speak and I want a dynamic relationship, but you can't go into these three doors if we could just relate out here. And you know what Jesus does? He goes straight for the doors. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever said to Jesus, not behind that door and have him say, oh, okay. <laughs> seriously. And we're Christ followers, right? Like seriously, has there ever been an area that he's convicting you of and you go, uh, can we just talk about that later? He's like, oh yeah, it was no big deal. We could talk, <laughs> right? It's like, he's like a hound dog. Like he comes in, oh, here we go. It's this door right here. Something smells over here. Some stinks. We gotta, like, oh, look at that thing. We gotta clean that baby up. It's like, right? That's exactly what he does. The Holy Spirit, he's just got a nose for this thing, right? And so, and so this is why, and so this is what happened. We try to follow Jesus without following Jesus, right? And so that we can't understand why the relationship is so anemic. And so, and so here's what Jesus says. This is what the Psalm 25 says, is that, that he wants a relationship and it's up to us while we have it, but we have to come to a place to surrender. No, no closed doors, you know? You have to be open to the extent, open to the extent that you know. There's all kinds of mess in our life we don't even know about yet. I'm messed up in ways I don't even know about yet, you know? <laughs> 10 years from now, he's gonna find another one. It's like, oh my gosh, all those years that I, you know? And I don't know about that. That door he hasn't opened yet. I don't even know about that door yet, right? I think it's a wall. There's really a door. It's kind of invisible, you know? But so I don't even know. But, but to the extent that I know is, is my life an open book, right? That, that's what he calls. And to the person who fears the Lord, guess what? The Lord will, the Lord will speak. So let, let's pray together. Hey, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give you a chance just to reflect on this because man, it's a heavy message, powerful, powerful uh, teaching from his word. And so now you need to respond and you need to decide what kind of relationship with Jesus do you want? It's up to you. What do you want? You know, do you want to be superficial and kind of waste your life and, and miss out on what God has and not be used? Or do you want to really have this vibrant relationship he died for? And so as we as we bow our heads in this time of prayer, we're gonna be going into a time of prayer and worship. I wanna ask you a couple questions. And first, I wanna to talk to those of you who are Christ followers. You've given your life to Christ, um, but the, honestly, you're not following, or maybe you have been following, 
But there's something today that the Holy Spirit is just awakening you. And it's not like anything's wrong in your life. It's just that you just want to go deeper. You want more. You're hungry. And, and so uh, if that's you, I just want to encourage you that during this time of worship, we're going to be singing about thirsting after God. We're going to be singing how God comes and, and how he, he breaks chains and he opens eyes. And as we, we sing these worship songs together, I want to encourage you as my brothers and sisters, have honest conversation, bow your knee, invite him in, let him be your leader and teacher, run hard after him. And if there's something getting in the way, surrender that thing so you can live the life you're meant to be lived. And then if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you've never even understood the gospel, this God who loves you and wants a relationship like this with you that we've been describing. And it's not about you, it's about him and, and that he died for you on the cross so that you could be totally forgiven for all your sins of your youth and, and that you could enter into this kind of relationship with Jesus. And if that's you and you, you today, you're ready to leave your past behind and you're ready to turn from, from the evil and you wanna pursue him and you want that gift of amnesty, I'm gonna give you a chance to give your life to Christ right now. I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer and if it expresses the prayer of your heart, if you, if you pray along quietly in your mind or your heart with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life, I'm sorry for rebelling against you. I pray you'd forgive me for all my crimes, my sins against you, my rebellion. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and forgive me and then teach me how to walk in the path of life so I can spend the rest of this life and the next life with you. And if you just prayed that prayer and you would like to follow Christ, I'm gonna ask if you would do me a favor. Inside of your program is a little card that's called the Connect card. Would you fill that out on the back side? Would you write me a message? Say, Mike, I prayed to receive Jesus. And that will trigger several events. First of all, we will just send you a letter from me with some first steps in your new relationship with Christ. And then secondly, I'll send you a link about baptism and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And a big part of that's being baptized and you'll be able to learn about that. And then you'll be able to grow. We'll be praying for you this week. And so Lord, we pray as we come now at this time of worship and seeking you, as we bring you our offerings, we pray you'd mean us. We pray you'd speak and lead. And this would be a powerful time of worship as we encounter you and surrender to you and experience your presence and your leading in a new way. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Wow, and isn't that what you want? You want God to come. And today, Psalm 25 says two things. You have to be a sinner. Uh, I think we're there. Uh, you got to be surrendered, right? And then he'll come, and then he'll come. And, and when he comes, chains will be broken, and lives will be healed, and eyes will be opened, and Christ will be revealed. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that the church we want to be? Amen. Right. So, and so let's, uh, let's embrace this journey together. And maybe you could stop telling yourself that it's for everyone but you. Can I tell you something? That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie. There is not one person in this room that Jesus doesn't want to fill like that. It's why he died. And so really it comes down to us. And are we willing to come broken as we are and say, God, I might be a mess, but 
you're the one who fixes messes. And we, we give our life to him just as we are. Rooms of our house all screwed up, all kinds of rooms that need to be cleaned out. We don't try to clean it up. We just give it to him. Give him the keys to, the, keys to our door. And we say, have at it. And if you will lead and if you will guide, then I will follow and I will surrender. And then we'll be transformed in the process. May that be your experience of God, Yahweh God, this week. The one who is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love, slow to anger, ever faithful. The one who is quick to forgive rebellion, wickedness, and sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, after the service, we always have a ministry. I don't always remember to mention it, but it's called the Prayer Connection. Back at our, in the corner in the back, there's a sign back there. If you need some extra prayer, head on back. Some people love to pray with you. Secondly, next week, we're going into Psalm 73, amazing psalm. It's a psalm written by Asaph. Asaph was uh, the worship leader of Israel in David's time. He was like David's J.D. Cunningham. And uh, he was a very gifted and godly guy, but he went through a very difficult time in his life where God seemed far away. He was following God and his life was a mess. The evil people were not following God and their life was going great. And he is bummed and wondering what's up with this. And he's so depressed. And then into that, God speaks, God moves, God reveals and changes his life. And so next week, we're gonna talk about those times when God is far away and life has overwhelmed us. And then what it looks like to be overwhelmed by God in the midst of being overwhelmed by life. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.